0: Well, Welcome to you, the few, the proud, the brave who made it uh, through those treacherous, treacherous roads. Truth be told, I live about five minutes away. I walked down this morning, almost made it here, found the one patch of ice in the parking lot covered in snow, stepped on it, whoop, back on my back, but thankfully my laptop broke my fall. <laughs> it was great. Um, we'll see if it works later or not. I'm, I'm hoping it will, but uh, Welcome. So, in October 2017, President Donald Trump put out a tweet mocking our Prime Minister, uh, Justin Trudeau, where there was a news story saying that this was happening, uh, for celebrating Thanksgiving six weeks early, after Trudeau put out a um, a Thanksgiving greeting or statement in October. Now, just in case you don't know, there is a difference between Canadian Thanksgiving and American Thanksgiving. But... (laughs) We have an American. (laughs) Uh, But this news article, it had thousands of retweets. It had thousands of shares on Facebook and tens of thousands of people people checked it out online. And, And there was a lot of people mocking Donald Trump for this, going like, how could you be so foolish? How could you not know that there's a difference between the two Thanksgivings? Now, it actually turns out um, that someone had simply created a fake tweet using image manipulation software. Um, this was, as, as we are well uh, uh, acquainted with the term today, this was fake news. Um, Donald Trump had not put this out. And some of you are going, okay, where are you going? You're talking about Trump. You're talking about fake news. Don't worry. We're not going anywhere um, too close to that. But my point is this. We live in a time where many people are skeptical of the news they hear because there's a lot of things that get shared that simply is not true. It's a time where you have to remind yourself and and, and be reminding, I'm um, sorry, but especially the older people, that everything that you read on the internet or on Facebook is not true. Like, I don't know about you, but any time I see on social media this celebrity has died, I kind of doubt it because there's been a lot of hoaxes shared on social media that this celebrity has passed away or something like that. And so almost anyone with a computer and, and some ability can type something up, <laughs> throw it up online, and make it look credible. And so this has made a lot of people skeptical of what they see and hear. And so that's something that's going on in culture, but yet there's another thing that's going on in our culture where, where it's a time where objective truth has taken a backseat to subjective truth for the sake of feelings. We, we live in a time where one of the worst sins you could commit, one of the greatest wrongs you could do is to disagree with somebody to tell them that you think they're wrong because you might hurt their feelings if you do so. And so we live in this time where you can, you, you can believe something is true, and that can stand in total opposition to what I believe is true. But you know what? As long as we're both sincere in what we believe, we can both claim that our view is, is true, and a lot of people would, would accept this. And so we're living in a time where many people are shouting, you know what, that's, that's fake news, that's Photoshop, that just isn't true. But yes, we're in a time where we're hesitant to acknowledge that there is such thing as objective truth, um, but yet we, we desperately crave something that is objectively true. And so these are difficult and confusing times to navigate. Now as Christians, we say um, that the only way a person can be saved, there's only one name by which we can be saved, and that's Jesus. God has only given that one way to be saved. And so when we say this, uh, what we do is we imply that not all faiths are equal, that not all faiths lead to eternal life or the same place, that only Jesus leads to heaven, only Jesus leads to eternal life. Now, Maybe you've shared your beliefs with somebody, and, and that's, that's not a belief that really is going over well in our culture. Um, people will kind of resist that. And so on one side, you have those who, who would be skeptical, those who would go, you know what, your religious views, you've bought into a fake religious or spiritual news story, um, and, and they look at that belief and go like, I can't believe you buy into any of that. Like, were you dropped on your head or something as a child? They look at you as sub-intelligent. But then on the other side, you you have people who would be. They would say we're, we're accepting of all faiths, all religions, and, and they would look at our beliefs and say you're narrow-minded, you're exclusive, you're bigoted, that you misrepresent God and Jesus Christ. And they go, why can't you just kind of accept every every faith, every, every path, because you know what? As long as somebody's sincere in what they believe, that's all that matters. Now, I've said this before. Jesus does not play nice with other gods. He, he leaves no room at all for salvation except within himself. And by claiming Jesus as the exclusive way of salvation, we, we kind of get ourselves into some hot water at times. Now, I've heard Christians say this before, Um, when when you talk about reading reading your Bible, sometimes Christians will say, I I just don't really read the Bible because I don't think it's that relevant to my life. Um, The experiences of those in the Old Testament, the experiences of the early church, they just don't really apply to me. But I would actually disagree with that. Kind of with the direction that our culture is heading, Uh, the way things are trending, I think the experiences of the early church and I think the themes of the New Testament writings are going to become increasingly relevant to us in years ahead. Um, And we're looking at one of those today. And so if you have your Bible, you can open up to Colossians chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 24. Um, We'll be in Colossians 1 for, for most of the morning. But Paul, he writes this, I am glad when I suffer for you in my body, For I am participating in the sufferings of Christ that continue for his body, the church. God has given me the responsibility of serving his church by proclaiming his entire message to you. Now, if you had your own Bible here, if you're using your phone, I don't know what translation you might be looking at. But it it might say something, or it might seem that, that Paul is saying, Christ left the work of salvation half complete. He didn't finish the work. And so it's up to Paul to finish what Christ left unfinished. That, that's not what Paul is saying here. What Paul is essentially saying is that the things he suffers are part of the way God extends that message of salvation to other people. He brings the gospel to others through it. And so Paul can see a direct connection between the things that he suffers and God expanding and growing his kingdom. And so when Paul thinks about his sufferings, he goes, I'm glad about them. I rejoice in them because you know what? What seems like they're they're bad, they're horrible. God is actually taking these things and using them for His good purposes. He's using these things to grow the kingdom, and so you may have heard this text before: 2 Corinthians chapter eleven, verse twenty-three through twenty-seven. But Paul kind of gives um, his experiences, or some of his experiences, up to that point in suffering. And so partway through he says, I've worked harder, been put in prison more often, been whipped times without number, and faced death again and again. Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Um, Back then, not talking drugs, we're talking rocks actually thrown at Paul, trying to kill him. Um, Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. I have traveled on many long journeys. I have faced danger from rivers and from robbers. I have faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I have faced danger in the cities, in the deserts, and on the seas. And I have faced danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. I have worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights. I have been hungry and thirsty and have often gone without food. I have shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. Now, there are those in churches today that would hear of Paul's experiences, let's say, and go, man, he's doing something wrong. Like, if he's experiencing that much pain, that much suffering, that much affliction, Paul is going about this whole faith thing wrong maybe maybe paul lacks faith but we need to understand that that Jesus the apostles the early church they understood that suffering would actually accompany the advance of the gospel that it would be a part of of the kingdom of god growing Matthew chapter 10 verse 16 Jesus says this look i am sending you out as sheep among wolves so be as shrewd as snakes and harmless as doves But beware, for you will be handed over to the courts and will be flogged with whips in the synagogues. You will stand trial before governors and kings because you are my followers. But this will be your opportunity to tell the rulers and other unbelievers about me. And so, Paul, again, he understands that his sufferings can be used to advance the gospel. And so, if a mob forms to try and stone Paul, to to kill Paul, Paul's like, you know what? I'm going to take this opportunity to preach. If if you took and arrested Paul, put him in prison, Paul's like, you know what? I'm going to share the gospel with the prisoners. Maybe a guard is chained to him. He's like, I'm going I'm to share the gospel with this guard, the captive audience. He has to listen to me. He's right here. If you brought Paul before a a ruler or a leader to try and maybe have him executed for what he was doing, Paul's like, I'm going to take the opportunity to preach. And he would preach Christ to this ruler, maybe to those who other rulers who were there, the household, and he would use these opportunities. And so Paul, um, he understands that these opportunities only come as a result of the things that he's suffering. If you read through Acts chapter 21 through 28, you'll see that Paul, he he has some rough experiences, but these rough experiences bring about unique opportunities that he would not get otherwise. And so we have to understand, suffering brings unique opportunities to witness that we might not get otherwise if there weren't those times of suffering. God takes what seems bad and he uses it for good. And kind of again, as I'm saying, just the way that... That culture is trending, the way that things are moving, I think we might have to get comfortable with this idea that some of our, our sufferings, things that we, we might kind of experience for our faith, might be used by God to advance his kingdom. Now verse 25, Paul says that, that um, he understands, he has been given the responsibility to proclaim God's entire message to the world. Now, your translation, it might say full or in its fullness, but if you, if you mark in your Bible, if you're one of those people, I would underline that word entire or full or fullness because it's important. It hints at the problem going on in Colossae and a major reason that Paul is writing. Within Colossae, there's this group of people who consider themselves to be thinkers, intellectuals, philosophers. They like to talk about deeper things known only to the initiated. Uh, they believe that they have this special knowledge that's not available to the average person, but only to the elite. Only those who are elite could possess it. And so this belief is, we've talked about it before, but sometimes known as Gnosticism. And so these Gnostics, they like to talk about how they're in the know, um, and, and they know things that, that um, others don't know. They know deeper things. Now think way back, um, some of us have to think further back than others, but to your experiences maybe in elementary school. D- do you remember maybe somebody coming up to you on the playground and going, I know something you don't know. And you go, oh, man, I, w- what is it? Like, like tell me, I, I want to know. You, you, need, you need to let me know. I'm like, I'm not going to tell you. You're like, please let me know. And, and they don't let you know and you, they kind of leave you hanging. And so you, you're going, man, um, what do they know? Is it a secret? Is it important? Like, is it something about me? Do they know I'm crushing on this girl or so, something like that? And so you're kind of left with this, this anxiety, this angst going, what do they know that I don't know? And so think of it this way. The Gnostics, they're talking about their secret knowledge, and they're holding that over the heads of other people. And so the, the, with time, the gospel that comes to Colossae, and the gospel says we're saved by Jesus Christ, and, and people believe this message. They, they accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. And so the Gnostics, they actually also accept this message as well. But, but then they get involved in the church, and syncretism begins taking place within the church. And syncretism, really simple way of thinking about it, is this. They, they accept the Christian message but then they introduce new ideas and philosophies into the church and say, you know, these things that we're introducing, they're on the same level as, as these Christian truths that you heard before. And so with time, they begin to downplay the importance of Jesus as the, as the way of salvation, and they begin to elevate other things as of primary importance, like secret knowledge. And so we'll just say the Gnostics, they're false teachers. But that's not the only challenge to the Christians in Colossae. There's also another group of false teachers who are requiring non-Jewish believers to conform to Jewish rituals and practices, saying that you need to do these things in order to be accepted and pleasing to God. And so, essentially, unless you become Jewish in the way that you act, in the way that you behave, there's no way you can, can be accepted by God, that you can please Him and be in good relationship with Him. And so you, in Colossae, in the church, you have false teachers introducing things that are contrary to what the Colossians first believed when they accepted the gospel. These false teachers are bringing in things and going, you only heard part of the gospel. I've, I've got some other things that you have to do or that you have to know in order to please God. They're telling them, strive for deeper knowledge of these secret things. Carry out these rituals and these practices in order to please God. Now, what's really happening is that they're creating an, a, a stew, a stew of ideas, beliefs, and philosophies in the church, and it's threatening the truth of the gospel. It's leading people astray. And for those who would not accept kind of their new teachings uh, about deeper knowledge or, or having to behave and work for your salvation, those who, who didn't accept that were actually beginning to look, be looked down upon as spiritually inferior. And so if you just stuck to the, 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 the Christian message within Colossae, there were those who were looking at you going, man, you, you just aren't playing in the majors. You're, you're down in farm league faith territory or something like that. And so it probably left a lot of people feeling anxious in the church. Now, why do I, why do I talk about all this? Why the history lesson? That's not just something that's relegated to the past. This is something that's taking place within churches' today um, we still face the same challenges they just go by different names but there's still false teachers and teachings threatening the church and they they downplay the importance of Jesus Christ and they begin to elevate the importance of other things and these things that they elevate on their own they could be neutral they might be good things but when you elevate them you get into dangerous territory. And so some of the things that could be elevated are things like progressing through different levels of knowledge, religious works, wealth, health, experiences, signs, and wonders, these types of things. Now we have to understand, if you change the gospel in any way, in that you add to it and say it's salvation plus fill-in-the-blank equals salvation, that is no longer the gospel. It's no longer good news. If you downplay the importance of Jesus for salvation and saying something else is more important, that's no longer the gospel. That's, that's not good news. And so this is why in verse 25, Paul says, my job, my responsibility is to fully disclose the message. He's not holding anything back for those who, who would be considered elite. He's not adding unnecessary things to the gospel. He's just presenting it as clearly as he can for everyone to understand. And so, back in Colossians chapter 1, verse 26, Paul says, This message was kept secret for centuries and generations past, but now it has been revealed to God's people. For God wanted them to know that the riches and glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too. And this is the secret. Christ lives in you. This gives you assurance of sharing his glory. So we tell others about Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all the wisdom God has given us. We want to present them to God perfect in their relationship to Christ. That's why I work and struggle so hard depending on Christ's mighty power that works within me. And so Paul is using language that would be familiar to the people in Colossae. Words like mysteries, wisdom, and secret knowledge. The Gnostics love these words, but then Paul goes further and he adds things to it. Anytime you see those words, they're usually accompanied with something like this, revealed, made known, disclosed, made plain. And so Paul is saying there once was a mystery, but there no longer is a mystery. Everyone, Jew or Gentile, can now know the mystery because God has revealed it. Now, before God revealed his plan, he was um, making parts of it known through his prophets. But key aspects of it were hidden for years, and there, there's, there's a bit of mystery surrounding what God's doing. If you read through the Old Testament, though, you're going to find there's 400-plus prophecies about the Messiah. And so you have your prophets like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Malachi. They're making prophecies about God's Messiah. You can find them all in the Old Testament. And these, these prophets, they're, they're prophesying about where the Messiah would be born, what he would do, what he would accomplish. And through the prophets, over time, Israel is getting snapshots of of what to look for, what to expect from the Messiah. They know God is up to something, but they don't fully understand what it is. Now, I don't know if you've ever done a puzzle, like maybe a 500-piece puzzle or something like that. I participate in one puzzle a year over Christmas vacation. That is my fill. It reminds me that I don't really enjoy doing puzzles that much. But imagine... Um, I, I put out a table up here and I just dump out all the pieces and I invite some of you to come up here and I say, we're going we're gonna to do this puzzle. And you're like, oh, awesome, I love puzzles. But I say, uh, you don't get to see the image. I've, I've destroyed the box. You, you don't know what you're putting together. And so you come up here, you pick up a piece or two and you look at it and go, I know this is part of something. I just don't know what it is. I I don't know exactly what this is a part of, but maybe you start working together with other people and you start to piece together this puzzle and an image begins to develop and the more pieces that go into that, the the more idea you have what you're working towards. And so over hundreds of years, this is what's kind of happening. The, The prophets are getting pieces of the puzzle pieces of the mystery, pieces of the plan. And as they make these prophecies, you're starting to get a clearer image of what God is up to, what God is, is working towards. Now, First Peter chapter 1, verse 10, it talks about this. It says, This salvation was something even the prophets wanted to know more about when they prophesied about this gracious salvation prepared for you. They wondered what time or situation the Spirit of Christ within them was talking about when he told them in advance about Christ's suffering and his great glory afterward. They were told that their messages were not for themselves but for you. And now this good news has been announced to you by those who preached in the power of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. It is all so wonderful that even the angels are eagerly watching these things happen. And so what what was God up to? We know that, that he was working everything out so that he could be with us, so that God could be present in us. God's mystery revealed is that God is now um, present and living in his people. God's plan was the gospel. And so the secret that is fully known and revealed is that God himself, in the person of Jesus Christ, is, is directly and personally present in the lives of his people. This is Christ in you, the hope of glory and so this gives us assurance that we're forgiven by God, that we have relationship with him, not just for now, but for eternity. Now, I mean, like this is something most of us have heard before. And we often take things for granted um, that we, we know today or experience today that previous generations didn't. Like, like Think about this. Years ago, if you were like, ah, I want to watch some TV tonight, I wonder what's on. You didn't just hit the guide button and see what was coming on every channel um, that night, be able to scroll ahead for hours, be able to scroll ahead days or weeks in advance to see what's coming on. You, you would have to go find the TV guide. Somebody had always misplaced it, but you'd go track that down. You'd find your day, you'd find your channel, and you'd go, okay, this is what's coming on the three channels I get um, tonight. And, and you'd, you'd make your pick. And like you didn't... You didn't, like, you had to work around TV's schedule back then. TV did not work around your schedule. Like, you didn't just go, I want to watch this DVR. If you wanted to watch it later, you had to set up the VCR, which was always a hassle. But, like, you, you had to be there. Even, like, if you wanted to change the channel, you had to get up and walk across the room and do it. I experienced those days but before the remote. Um, maybe my family was just like less progressive or something. I don't know. But, but think about it. Things have changed. We take that all for granted. And some of you were like, be quiet. I remember when my family got our first radio or something like that. I remember black and white television. My point is this. We often take things for granted that older generations didn't even dream about. And living on this side of the cross, we may take for granted how amazing what God has done for us is. That that we are living in this time where we can see how all 400 plus of those prophecies worked out and were answered in Christ. We're not looking at them, scratching our heads, going, what, what was God up to? What's, what's God planning? You know, we, we see how they were answered, that Jesus Christ is the goal, the content, the meaning of all of God's previous revelation. That God was working out our salvation through the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, again, I think we, we sometimes cease to be in awe of this because we're so familiar with it. We're saturated with it. We're desensitized to it. But, but just think, like, let, let me ask you, when was the last time you had to make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem in order to worship God and experience his presence? When was the last time you went to a temple and offered a bloody animal sacrifice in order to be good with God, to have your sins forgiven? What did you ever have to do for God for him to save you? Has God ever denied you knowledge because you just weren't at the right level of knowledge or weren't deemed one of the best and brightest? Has God ever said, you need to pay money in order to know what I am up to? Has God ever denied or rejected anyone because they weren't good enough or smart enough? And the answer to all of those is never and no. And so, living on this side of the cross, what we understand is that God is is present with us, whether I'm in Halifax, Nova Scotia, or I'm in Jerusalem. It, it, It doesn't make a difference. Like, you can take your trip to the Holy Land. You can see all those sights, but that is not going to change the way that God feels about you. Go to Jerusalem, walk the streets, take the tours, but that is not going to make God any more present in your life than he is right now. Study scripture, read books about it, go to Bible college, learn more about your faith. And I encourage you, actually do all of these things. But understand, doing those things will not change the way that God feels about you. Long before there was anything you could do or that you could know, God had decided what he was going to do for us. That through Christ he would live in us. And because of that, you have the power to live a godly life, a victorious life. You can have joy. You can have peace. You can have comfort in your troubles. You can have victory over death. You can have eternal life with God. And, and so, like, we have to understand God is not playing hard to get with us, God is not waiting for us to chase Him. Down, He's not trying to avoid you. He's not waiting for you to prove your worth. God loves you for who you are. It's not for what you know. It's not for what you do, but for who you are. That you bear his image. That you are his child who, who may have wandered, but he desperately wants you back home. And this is why he sent Christ. This is the gospel. And so please understand We don't learn, we don't serve, we don't give to get God's attention or to get God's affection. But we do all these things because we already have his attention. We already have his affection. Now maybe you're going, why did God wait so long to fully reveal this mystery when it's so good? We don't know all of God's reasons, but we, we can trust his timing. But here's the thing. By the time Christ came, humanity had the opportunity to learn by experience that it could not save itself or the world by laws, philosophy, military strength, economic progress, any inherent goodness within us by man-made religion, by culture, or by any other means. That that humanity had time to learn that it needed a Savior. It It was desperate for a Savior. And as we talked about, we're, we're living in a time where many people are confused. Uh, many people are desperate for truth. They're desperate for a savior. In an age of confusion, people are starving for what is actually true. In an age that is evil, people are thirsty for something that is good. And our world is learning through hard experience that our laws our ideas, our armies, our money, our morals, or anything else that we can come up with will not deliver us from what we are in. But this is the good news of the gospel, that salvation, that it does not depend on whether I'm good enough or spiritual enough or worthy enough. It's not rules, regulations, or rituals that will save me. It's not a mystical or subjective human experience. It's not my level of commitment or my sincerity. It's not my tradition. It's not my ancestors. It's not my family. It's not my ability to repeat any creed or confession. The hope of salvation centers on one thing. It's Jesus Christ. It's not what you do or know, but who you know that gives you hope. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 4, Paul said, I am telling you this so no one will deceive you with well-crafted arguments. And so this is the reason we say get into God's word, because you can see, you can know that it is true, Like in the gospel we see, you know what? God is brutally honest about our situation and and how we are in the sin mess. But at the same time, the gospel is beautifully transparent about God's intentions and plans for us. And so there's there's no secrecy, there's no hidden agenda to the gospel. We're we're not going to bring you into a back room that's that's dimly lit and go, Okay, you've been here for a few years. You're trustworthy. We, we've deemed you worthy enough to know the secrets of the faith, the ones that we don't tell the other people. That, that's just not going to happen because it's, it's all right here. God's put all his cards on the table. God has put the puzzle out for every person to be able to see. It's all there. And I would say if you're skeptical of the Christian faith, put it to the test. Do some work. But we say Christianity is the truth, and so we have no fear of of people looking at it and diving in and really looking at it because you know what? We believe that the Bible, God's word, and the truth that it represents is going to hold up to any historical, philosophical, scientific, or literary scrutiny that you want to put it through. But it all points to this one thing, that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life this is this is god's plan this is what god is working towards there's not much more than that is what god is working towards and so maybe if you're a christian you've you've been looking to other things as your hope your works or things you know or things that you do it's it's jesus christ that's your hope maybe you've never put your hope there Remember, maybe you've never confessed christ as lord and savior you can do that. Um, you can talk to me, you can talk to Greg after the service and we'll, we'll, we'll tell you what that encompasses, what that looks like. Let's go to God.